Welcome back to another episode of Ales with Aslan, your weekly therapy session with uh, sales reps and sales leaders. You know I love doing what I can to help you guys. So today we are going into uncharted waters. Uh, we've decided to bring in uh, an interesting partner of ours, a partner opportunity, someone in the sales enablement space. I have with me Jeremy Donovan from Sales Loft. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, Scott. Thanks. It's so nice to be on the show. It's great to have you. And I know you're, you're a fellow East Coaster. I actually uh, was wondering, are you a Yankee fan or a Met fan down there? In, in New York? Oh, you tapped into the very boring side of me, which is that I am not a sports fan of any kind. <laughs> so we won't have a Red Sox-Yankees problem on this particular podcast. No, no. Although we might, I, do, I do have occasionally go to an MLS game. So if uh, Red Bulls would be my team, I suppose. Okay. All right. And we've got the Rebs up here. I don't, I don't, pay as much attention to that, but uh, at least that could be part of our ongoing conversation. Uh, as you know, Jeremy, here on Ales with Aslan, the first thing we do each week is that we get into something cold and frosty. So what, uh, what do you have in front of you that you're going to uh, look to enjoy this afternoon? Yeah, so I was up in Vermont a few years ago and discovered an insanely great beer from the Alchemist Brewing Company. So it, the beer is called Heady Topper. Hard to, very hard to obtain. They don't ship it, but the beer is amazing. Awesome. All right. Well, look how you know, look forward to hearing how you enjoy that. I'm going to crack myself something a little boring today. I'm going to go with just a Corona premium, which is sort of new to me. I've had Coronas for years and Corona lights, but this premium one's new. So let's see what we got here. All right. Let's pour that and just get a little taste. Hmm. That's pretty good. I'm not Sure, it tastes that different from a Corona, but I'm sure there's something premium in there that is is making me happy. <laughs> and by the way, does it have a lime built in somehow? I don't don't taste the lime in there. I should have brought one. Um, how do you have a Corona without the lime? That's yeah, it's like a blue moon without an orange. You just can't do that. It, it's illegal almost. I would have to say, but uh, but Jeremy, it is so good to have you on the show. And and obviously, our our companies have talked a, a few times, and there's lots of interesting. Uh, information, I think probably misperceptions and, and interesting perceptions in the market about where does sales enablement and sales training overlap, underlap? What's the difference? And so why don't we start with, um, first of all, a, a little bit of your background in your company and, and what sales enablement means to, to Jeremy Donovan. Yeah. So I, I work at a company called Sales Loft and the my, my particular role here is actually in sales strategy, yep. which I think is a good jumping off point in a way into, you know, the whole sort of enablement, engagement and strategy world. So sales loft thinks of itself as a sales engagement platform, which is even a subtlety on enablement. I think it's yep. a, probably kind of a splinter off of enablement. So you know, these days I tend to define sales enablement as inclusive of training and collateral I think being maybe the two main pieces, mm -hmm. make sure yep. that new hires get ramped effectively and that existing hires continue to, to produce uh, at, at, you know, higher and higher rates, hopefully. And then sales engagement is all about, it, it is all about engaging those prospects and customers, right? In a, in a cadence of communication, whether that's email, phone, social, direct mail, what have you. So that sales and, uh, engagement space, again, is, is, is about contacting uh, and engaging folks to get meetings, progress opportunities, and then ultimately upsell or new business. And then the third category has overlap in all of those, which is sales strategy, the thing that I, I focus a lot of my time on, which is you know, 
takes those some of those elements and broadens it out to things like compensation and territory and and so on. Yeah, yeah, and that's an interesting one because you know sales training for us can mean a lot of different things, right? I mean, we've got eleven different programs that that we have, and for both sales reps and sales leaders and call centers, and I think there's confusion over where you know where we can help, and I and I and I. I like to say that I think I, the, the distinction for sales engagement is an interesting one because a company like a training company does not does not stick around and help customer you know uh, customers but reps actually execute. That's where you guys kind of pick up, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to think of training companies as being, as you described earlier, as being key partners. Right, that you're providing the the methodologies, the playbooks, the fundamentals for people's sales processes. Uh, either at the you know, micro level, which could be a, a call plan or pre-call plan, post-call plan, whatever, however you guys do it, uh, all the way up to sort of the, you know, the more macro level, which is things, for example, your qualification framework, the way that opportunities get managed and so on. So yeah, I think sales training companies are, are critical in helping to define what the, what the processes should be for, for companies and then absolutely a, a, a sales engagement platform like, like uh, where I work uh, picks that up and allows you to actually turn that into a system of, of action. Yeah. It's a good way to think about it. And of course you work with all the big heavies like, you know, uh, integration with Salesforce and, and all those sorts of things as well. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. It make just make people's lives, just make people's lives easier. Right. Um, Salesforce is an, is an amazing platform. Uh, I, I do think of it as, as a system of, of record, if you will, that uh, yes, you can execute emails and make phone calls out of Salesforce. It's, it's just, um, not yet fully tuned to be able to do that. So, so there's a whole ecosystem of, of companies out there, whether, you know, whether it's, uh, it's sales engagement, whether it's incentive compensation management, you know, there's the whole run of, of the ecosystem that builds on top of Salesforce as again, or just a stunning platform for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting when we, when we come in uh, and what I've talked to with some of the folks at your company and, and a lot of customers is that we, our process is really to prepare the, the company that we're trying to support. Then we go through the ignition phase, which is the actual, what you would call sales training. Right. And then there's the transformation piece. I look at where, companies like Salesloft and Aslan sort of intersect is a little bit in that transformation piece. It's when things move from the original education and more into what we call the transformation of, you know, changing the way sales execution works for, for clients. I imagine that fits nicely uh, with what you guys try to help customers and reps do as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair with respect to all kinds of different, you know, methodologies and frameworks and so on. One of the big challenges that sales leaders have is knowing whether or not that training, that methodology actually moved the needle on, on first, I guess, behaviors, but then ultimately business results. So, you know, at the very least at the, I like to think of metrics kind of in three, it's, it's a, a side tangent, but a relevant tangent that I think of metrics in three categories. And it builds off um, the work of Jason Jordan, who talked about results, pipeline, and activity. Or, or uh, you know, uh, for me, I have three. I have a similar three, but I replace the middle one, which is results, efficiency, and activity. Right? Because the the link between activity and results is is efficiency. Yep. So, kind of getting get you know bringing that back to what we were just talking about. 
you know, you guys can come in and, and define some, a new process and new methodology, then that has to actually get implemented and, and, um, you know, sales enablement platforms definitely help people to, to transform the behaviors and then also measure to make sure that those, you know, those behaviors are actually being followed. And then ultimately, since, you know, tools like Salesforce uh, allow you to stitch together all the different activities and pipeline and so on, you can actually see whether or not you've moved, you know, you've moved the needle, uh, you know, in, in truth, it'd be great if you had a, a perfect AB test, but no one sort of trains half their sales force and then doesn't train the other half the sales force and find out, find out what happens, right? They tend to train everyone at the same time. So you can't have a perfect AB test, but you can, you know, you do the best you can. Well, and it's interesting. We actually did get an opportunity to do that in, in a, in a rather large company that was unsure. Um, and you would, you would not be surprised that the, tr the team that was trained, had much better results and don't quote me on them as the marketing guy, I should know them, but I don't know the exact results, but much, much higher uh, engagement, all of your productivity activity uh, uh, metrics headed in the right direction based on, you know, some of the stuff that, uh, that we taught, but it's interesting because we've got a, um, you know, in our transformation phase, we talk a lot about uh, results equals and we have our own sort of equation. It's very similar to yours. We talk about the reps desire, plus their productivity, which is basically activity, but the right activity, right? Productivity metrics, and then competency, which would not surprise you as part of a training company. So what you have is results equals desire plus productivity plus competency. And when you get those things right, that's what, as a sales leader, for my friends out there that are sales leaders, that's what you coach to. And um, we think that there's three different hats that they wear. They manage, they lead, and they coach. And so very good alignment with uh, some of the things that, uh, that you're talking about, which actually leads me to, Kind of a question for you like you know think about you know customers that are that are having success with sales loft and what are some of those common uh things you notice on the front end that you're able to resolve on the back end when they engage uh you know maybe with or without a training company but when they engage with uh with, with this this platform you call sales engagement yeah i mean i i, I don't want to kind of oversell or, or sell it all really but the, the reason people come to sales engagement platforms in general is it's usually twofold. I mean, the primary motivation of all sales leaders is to increase their, increase their uh, uh, ability to, to achieve their quota, right? To meet and exceed their quota is to, to drive bookings, to drive revenue. So uh, being able to use a communications workflow tool uh, to get more top of the funnel meetings that convert into opportunities and then, you know, take those opportunities through to close and then obviously engage existing customers to upsell, renew service, what have you like that, that sort of thing is, is sort of the primary motivation. Uh, there's a secondary motivation as well, which is that, especially this is true for larger companies, they've made massive investments in the rest of their tool stack in particular into Salesforce. And yet, um, I mean, I know this from personal experience. I worked at a very large company for 16 years and we would benchmark every year how uh, the rate of CRM adoption and the rate of CRM adoption there was about 50% of mm. the you know, AEs would routinely use Salesforce. That's very common inside of large enterprises um, to, to sort of see that 50% mark. I've talked to a lot of colleagues elsewhere over the years who experienced the same thing. So that, that's another reason people will use sales engagement platforms. It just makes makes it really, really easy to um, drive activity and to track, importantly, to track all the activity 
to be able to realize the investment in uh, in your CRM. So that's that's a pretty common common thing. There are you know, other ways people get value. Um, you know, for example, with inbound leads. But I'll, I feel like I've been talking for a while, so I'll pause before I talk about inbound leads. If you, if no, no, this is good. This is good. Yeah, because I'm I am curious. I mean, we we talk a lot about um, you know from a transformation perspective that change. So if you're trying to drive change into your sales organization, it happens one to one. Um, and, and I think from a human perspective, that, that makes sense, right? The, the rep and the coach working together to achieve two things, the, the rep's desired result, but the company's desired result. And together, the rep and the, and the coach come up with that plan of how to get there. You introduce, as sales law, the tools that can help that rep activate what their goals that they come up commonly with their manager uh, would, would, would achieve. Um, and I, and I think that makes a lot of sense and helps us really with the synergies that it could exist between, you know, the sales engagement and the tool stack, as you call it, and then the training or the human preparation that we talk about in our business. Does that make sense to you? It, it does. Yeah. And it makes me think a lot about uh, another thing I've learned over the years, which is all change must be driven by the first line sales managers. So yes, you need executive alignment, um, but that's not enough. And yes, you need the individual contributors to be held accountable to whatever the, the, the change that you're trying to drive is, but you will absolutely not be successful unless sales managers at the, the first line sales managers are bought in because at, to, you know, using, using, I think your great description of them as coaches, it's beholden on them to ensure, to inspect and expect and coach and provide feedback to the reps to make sure that, you know, let's say you're rolling out, um, you know, concepts that come out in the, the Aslan uh, training courses, uh, training material, then you need to make sure that those, those concepts are actually being followed and understood and, and optimized. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, I just, you just said something that totally brought me back when I was back with Schneider Electric years ago in uh, the industry business over there, there was a guy that said, people will respect what you inspect <laughs> as a leader. And it, I never forgot it. I think it was, it was so well said, but as coaches and as developers of talent, uh, we have to be very careful and specific about what we expect of our, our, our salespeople. Um, and if we prescribe that properly, uh, they will react to that because they'll respect what, what we're inspecting. What are we watching? What are the things that are important to us? And I think that's, that's another reason a tool uh, or a stack of tools like what you all offer help drive that uh, to the to the proper behavior and ultimately to the change uh, that we all desire in terms of Salesforce execution, right? Yeah, yeah to, to that point, one, I have a few different jobs here at SalesLoft, but uh, one of them is also being have, having the honor, I should say, of uh, having our sales development team, which is about 40 uh, reps, roll up into me ultimately. And to your point about people who respect what you inspect, one of the, I, I'm, very, I'm very laser focused with respect to sales development on picking one metric that is, I call it the, I think of it as the canary in the coal mine metric because it, if, if that metric is working, it probably means that everything else is working. And that metric for me is the number of calls per day. And it, it's a little old school call center ish and, and I hate doing it, but I've found over many, many years of doing this, that if, if you hold every person accountable every day to a certain number of calls, not talk time because that's a metric I hate, but uh, to a certain number of calls, then you're going to get differential results. And, and I've seen that everywhere I've been, uh, as much as I hate doing it, it, it's like the transformational 
the tr- transformational metric. And I, that, that's true in sales development and in every single uh, function, whether it's account executives, account managers, customer success managers, what have you, like there probably is a canary in the coal mine metric. Yeah. That, that's an activity metric that tells you whether all the other elements of the system are, are functioning properly or not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you, if you listen to my podcast, you know, I ask for feedback all the time, but I'd be curious if anyone in the audience um, has a perspective on that because I can tell you, I mean, I started out selling copiers in New York city many, many, many years ago, but when I uh, wound up selling software, one of the things we were forced to do was make a certain number of cold calls every Tuesday morning from like 7am to 10am because that was a proven success metric at the time. And I tell you, as much as I hated it as a sales rep, it worked. Um, Just forcing myself to make enough phone calls. Now, what we all learn later as we get further into our careers and with with hindsight as a guide is that it's the right phone calls too. But the sheer numbers, to your point, um, really do add up. and, And I think they force the behavior of just, you know, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, right? Yeah, it's a pleasant. We like to think of it as, as pleasantly persistent. And I was, yeah, I read quite a lot. I just wrapped up reading yet another sales book over the weekend, and you know that that book is very much about getting back to the basic fundamentals. And one of the good pieces of advice in the book is is the you know it's, it's not it's nothing in any sales book I think is probably particularly novel. They're all good reminders, but it's time blocking. And uh, you know that one of the things this advocated was basically time block every single morning, every single day, whatever it is, hour, hour and a half to prospecting because of the, the age old problem, right? That, that reps get so focused on spending time either servicing their existing customers or bringing late stage deals across the finish line that they, they move in these feast and famine uh, roller coaster that they, that they ride. So to prevent yourself from, from having that situation, that consistent prospecting with, you know, an hour, an hour, hour and a half every single day. And often at the most, your most productive time is the morning. And that's probably, and prospecting is the hardest, I think it's probably the hardest thing you do. So why not do that first thing in the morning when you're most productive? I I think you just, you hit on something we've been really hyper-focused on in the last several weeks, not only in some of our content we're producing in, in, in written format, like our blogs and stuff, but really on, on our podcast series as well, is that prospecting somehow has has gotten a little bit lost um, that people, you know, because customers can do so much research and get so far on their own. And, you know, the Gartner um, study from a few years back that 50%, 57% of the sell cycle is over before the sales rep is even invited in to a discussion. You know, I think that number is probably closer to 70% now that that excuses us as salespeople and sales leaders from prospecting. And I think the opposite is probably true. Um, there's more of a, a, a pressure point on us, you know, prospecting the right types of customers we say that we want to work with as uh, you know, when our sellers are out there, we choose who we want to sell to the, the types of companies that we think we can help. And I think you guys are probably the same way. You know, what your, what your, what your type of customer looks like. And, you know, prospecting, while easier than it was years ago, still is an effort game, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I, it's, it is a more effortful game probably than it used to be simply because you probably have to have more touches more consistently to actually get people's interest. But yeah, you, you simply, you can't rely on inbound alone yeah. to, to drive your business. And, you know, there are definitely companies who for a period of time are able to do that. 
uh, you know, if it's sort of the Vieta penny for every conversation I've had where someone told me, you know, our business was steaming along on inbound very, very successfully. And then all of a sudden, right, the, the, they, they've tapped out the, uh, not tapped out, but it's slowed down, uh, inbound is slowed down. So they need to go outbound. And that's, that's a pretty universal, uh, universal thing to see. So, uh, yeah, I don't think you can, I don't even get around that, but by the way, an interesting side note is, you know, yeah. that book, that book also went on probably a 20 page rant at the beginning of the book, uh, railing against the 57% of the, you know, decision-making process is done before the rep, before the, uh, sorry, the prospect actually reaches out to the rep. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it res and so part of it resonated with me. I mean, I'm a, they were, they, they were arguing to, I think, throw out basically all data and I, I don't feel that way at all. But their their point was was there's a risk in, of 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 over reliance on averages, and he he didn't exactly express it this way, but like imagine that imagine that you know half of your customers or half of your prospects, I should say, uh, didn't do any research before they or limited research before they reached out to you, and then yeah. the other half were were basically you know just about across the finish line. So the average there, right, if 50% are at zero and 50% are at near 100%, the average is 50%. So if you just say, you know, 50% are, people are 50% of the way through, you're, you, you, you really have kind of mis used an average to miscommunicate. Um, you know, for the statisticians in the audience, you basically, you don't have a single normal distribution, right? You've got some sort of barbell, bi you know, bimodal distribution. Yeah. But m most of the time, I think averages actually are, you know, are actually reliable that in that case, I don't know if they're reliable. Um, I was thinking about, you know, just, just yesterday actually, or today's, uh, well, just yesterday, uh, I, I sure, you know, we, we realized we want to increase our forecast accuracy. So yeah, I think I did what a lot of buyers do. I, I went on, on Google, I went on G2 crowd, I went on different forums that I'm a part of. Uh, and looked around at who was recommended as forecast vendors. I shortlisted or long listed, I guess, 10 of them. And I went inbound to those 10 and, uh, and set up, you know, discovery demos for me to kind of walk through their products. But if somebody were to send me a, uh, an outbound, you know, if they were outbounding to me and sent me a prospecting email today about how do I improve my forecast accuracy, like they're hitting the need that I have yeah. today. I'm going to respond and take a meeting. And yeah. I think that's, that's, that, that's largely true. I think it's much harder for people to break through. Um, when, when I don't have the, when I don't have the need, right. I'm, I'm probably going to ignore it unless they're offering it's unless it's not the sort of same old, same old, right. Is, is if I'm going to take a, a meeting with somebody who's cold prospecting me, I want to feel like I'm not just going to be asked a whole bunch of discovery questions. Like I want to believe I'm going to get some kind of value out of that interaction. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you are wandered right into sort of part of our value proposition, which is someone is very unlikely to receive your message. If you're not identifying something that's on their whiteboard, the figurative what's keeping me up at night um, sort of scenario. So if I'm trying to sell to Jeremy and he's focused on, a forecasting situation he has, then I am probably going to get receptivity if uh, if I hit him with a message that either shows a gap in his understanding or something he just didn't know or is something that's now a perceived need. And, you know, we, we kind of talk through that extensively through the training so that I think we're all on the same page here. And I know I have kept you a very long time, but I do want to put a bow on this. Is there any... Um, 
is there any place or anything that, that people should do to learn more about, you know, where sales engagement and this sales enablement, you know, uh, ball field sort of plays out in your mind? Oh, wow. I don't, I don't, it's a good question. I don't know if there's like one, one place, uh, but, but certainly, you know, I, I try to give as much value as I can in, in a, you know, a non-promotional way as possible. So the, I guess the thing of value I can offer is uh, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. It's yep. Jeremy Donovan and every, in exchange for connecting with me and I, I pretty much accept all connections unless you unless you don't look like you're an actual human. Um, <laughs> I, I post a one sentence actionable, immediately actionable tip uh, every day that uh, folks hopefully can, can use often very data driven. And, and uh, that's, that's it. Basically I, I, I do not violate my, my rule of short data driven, immediately actionable and non-promotional. So if you do connect with me, you'll, you'll have that on your, on your LinkedIn feed. Very cool. And yes, of course, um, you know, we, we believe that you out there that sell for a living or coach those that sell for a living have a, have a difficult job. It's, uh, you know, many of us have done it before. Many of us have stayed in the game because we see such tremendous value in bringing, you know, value to our customers and helping them buy versus kind of selling to them. And so you can learn a lot more about Jeremy and, and, and hear him every week on his own podcast, uh, Hey Salespeople. You can find that all the same places you can find Ales with Aslan. Um, so make sure you check him out. Check him out on LinkedIn and keep uh, Sales Loft and AslanTraining.com in mind when you have gaps in your Salesforce execution. Thanks for another great week of Ales with Aslan. We'll see you in another week. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.